Hello, and welcome to Friends for Life, a podcast of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod's Life Ministry. We're sharing stories and insights of real people living out God's love for the people He's created. We hope you'll stick around and be our friends for life. Hey, friends, it's Stephanie, and welcome to episode four of Friends for Life. Last episode, we had Adrian on talking about how to create a pro life culture uh, within the home. Today, I have a very special guest on to talk about creating a pro-life culture within a congregational setting, within your own church. I think it's safe to say that this person I have on is my favorite person, probably my favorite guest who will be on this show, and it is because he is my husband. Welcome, Kirk Nujabauer. Hey, great to be here. That was quite an introduction. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we were excited to record together. It's kind of been a dream of ours to be able to, first of all, have a platform to talk about life issues. Second of all, to hopefully make a difference, build a community around life issues. Yeah, we, we have these conversations in you know about these kind of subjects in the car a lot of times. And our audience is usually our two children in the car seats behind us. And it's kind of fun to to have these conversations and let our friends in on, uh, on them. And, you know, it's funny that we've, we, as, as long as I've known you, even before we were married, um, these have been things that I know were important to you. And, you know, when I met you at the seminary, um, you were working in pro-life ministry and serving pregnancy centers with the talents that you had. And, I knew that this was something that was important to you, and through that process of getting to know you, you even have formed and shaped my views of of a lot of things that I've then taken into parish ministry. So, um, so this is great. I, I I'm excited that you've started this, and uh, and I know that this is uh, something that's going to impact a lot of people. And I know this is something that you're passionate about. And we're passionate about. So it's it's great to be uh, great to be finally on. <laughs> well. Obviously, I know a lot about you, almost as much as you know about yourself. But would you, for the listeners, introduce yourself and just tell them a bit about where we're currently serving and um, and what kind of ministry we have here? Sure, I've been we've been out of seminary now for five years uh, in parish ministry, and we currently serve at a congregation in Paragold, Arkansas, Redeemer Lutheran Church, wonderful church family. We've been here for about a year and a half. Um, one of those years was an interesting uh, year where we were facing unique challenges, uh, but um, <laughs> it's been a lot of fun. They've been great, and uh, and we just, you know, I I think I think I can speak for both of us when I say that we love to serve uh, these people and serve in this way. And now I can add to pastor of congregation, uh, husband of the host of the Friends for Life podcast. So that's, <laughs> it's pretty good. Uh, it's a pretty good resume uh, builder there too. <laughs> yeah. So you, you say some unique challenges, but, and you're referring to the pandemic. I mean, we, we pretty much moved three months before lockdown began. So it's an interesting time to change churches is when, you know, you arrive and you're just trying to get to know everybody. And then all of a sudden you're hit with 
something that none of us have ever experienced before in our lifetime, certainly. And uh, it it was a it was a unique challenge. But I think a lot of what we'll talk about today is how do you get creative with ministry, and uh, and this was certainly an opportunity to find ways to do ministry creatively and get to know people creatively. And I think it's been wonderful, despite the challenges that that has posed for so many people and challenges that it's caused to people's health and uh, and many other things. I think we've still been able to to serve the Lord and serve our people. We're very blessed here. Um, anyone, anything else that you want our listeners to know about you? I mean, besides parish ministry, you're just a pretty cool guy all around. Uh, you know, I I might have been cool in uh, some point in my life. I think. I'm getting like on the fast track uh, of being less and less cool every single day, but <laughs> it's really great settling into just being a, a husband to an awesome wife and a dad to awesome kids, pastor of an awesome congregation, and settling into to all of what that means, the blessings that that brings, um, the challenges that it brings, but mostly joys. And uh, it's just... I mean, every day is just an adventure, and I know that you know that. <laughs> so, uh, so we're just having a blast. And again, it's just it's great to it's great to have these new adventures that you're embarking on to watch uh, you continue to serve too. It's uh, lots of exciting things happening that the Lord is doing through um, through our family. So uh, it's it's just it's awesome to be a part of. And yeah, I'm glad you think I'm cool. If you think I'm cool, then I guess I'm doing okay. <laughs> I think you're very cool. <laughs> uh, so we've we've been out in, in parish ministry for five years now, um, and we will be talking about this kind of uh, pro life uh, culture, how to how to engage your church in, in pro life issues. Um, so only five years of experience firsthand, but you grew up. Your dad is a pastor. Your brother is a pastor, um, and so. Not only our our current you know situation in our in our previous congregation, but but also your upbringing in a pastor's family and and seeing how various churches engage these issues. Um, so your experience extends beyond the five years you've been you've been out of seminary. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. And you know you you just are surrounded by God's word, and there's different phases of life where you're more kind of engaged in what's going on in church at different ages. At least it was, that was the case for me. But you hear Jesus value people and all different kinds of people. And yeah, my, my father is a wonderful pastor and he serves in uh, Memphis, Tennessee. My, my brother, we're fortunate to have him just down the road hmm. from us about 10 minutes away at a congregation called St. John's in Lafe, Arkansas. But even, even, you know, when I was really young, my mom was a special education teacher when she was younger and would tell us the value and importance of, of lives that maybe other people didn't see the same way as they saw others. And so I have been incredibly blessed to be surrounded by the Word of God, um, by parents who were intentional about talking to me about these things. Uh, then blessed to have uh, a wife who was on the front lines uh, in St. Louis serving um, in ways that uh, in ways that are really impactful to have a seminary experience where we met you know 
uh, with a with a life team on campus that opened our eyes to just the scope of what it means to be pro life. It's it's a lot of people hear pro life and they think it's one issue or two issues maybe, and yeah. and that uh, it doesn't really span much beyond a, a particular conversation. But to learn just the magnitude of of, of scope of what pro life issues actually cover, it's it's this comprehensive look really everything it, it it flows through all of our uh of our belief of how we interact with one another and that of course is rooted in how god interacts with us through jesus christ well that brings me i guess to my to my first question which is obviously we're you know very entrenched in parish ministry you being a pastor i of course am a pastor's wife but those listening today do not have to be a pastor's family for this to be applicable. The The question does not just fall on the, the pastor's shoulders of how do we create this pro-life community within our, our church, but of course it, it depends on everyone within the congregation working together toward this cause. And so I appreciate you being on mostly because you have this unique perspective that even I don't in that I'm I'm not the shepherd of a church you are and so hopefully you can guide our our listener in and kind of helping us understand how we as the body of Christ can can work towards this goal. Where does the church find and ultimately root her approach to all of these issues pertaining to life because you mentioned there is there's just a spectrum it's there's a there's a range of life issues it's not just one or two so where does the fir- the church find find this root yeah there are so many oh so many issues that this goes into and like everything that we believe and and teach and confess um, this isn't something that we've just kind of compiled together through our human experiences or anything like that. It, it's all rooted in God's word. So, you know, Jesus throughout his earthly ministry is just incessantly, always just continually concerned for the ones that other people see as less than, uh, who they are referred to as the least of these. So this includes widows and orphans and prisoners, uh, refugees, lepers, tax collectors. It includes Romans, um, Gentiles, and really just sinners in general, the people who just didn't do the right things as well as, you know, the religious people did. And Jesus goes to them, and he's very intentional about going to them. And what's interesting is, you know, for people who are blind or or who were struck with leprosy or or who were paralyzed during this time when Jesus is is going around and he's preaching the kingdom of God and he's teaching and he's healing people these these things were seen as God's judgment and so here comes the son of God and he's going no I'm actually I'm going to them and he's going to be with them and he's eating with them and and especially you see this you know it's all over the gospels all all of the gospels but you see it especially in Luke Jesus just continually challenging the conventional way in which the world values one person's life over and against another for all sorts of reasons. And so Jesus brings about what we call this great reversal, where he kind of confuses the religious leaders by doing strange things like eating with tax collectors and sinners. And, And they're like, 
what are you doing eating with them? What's this rabbi doing hanging out with these sinners? And then Jesus, on the sermon on the plane in Luke, he, he says that it's a very confounding thing, that the poor and the weeping and the hated, and those people are actually blessed because they're connected to him. And so then he's training his disciples to see people the way that his Father in heaven sees them. And he specifically then commands them to, to go and love them as he has first loved us. And he examples that throughout his ministry. It's just everywhere. And it's all of this is, of course, centered around one question that Jesus asks and, and wants his disciples to be able to answer. And it's a question that we in the church should be daily asking ourselves. And, and that question is, who is my neighbor? And, and then identifying the answer to that question, then loving our neighbor as Jesus loved us. And that's what he desires for his church to do. That's the, he wants to love his people through his people. And, uh, and the body of Christ, identify the body of Christ, be the body of Christ. And that's a really cool thing. Well, this can sound like a, a pretty simple teaching of Jesus, go love your neighbor, but this can actually be a really difficult challenge for the church, can it? It's incredible. It's incredibly hard. It really is. It sounds so easy to say, and we say it so often, we almost kind of forget what it means. But it was incredibly hard for the people in the first century Jesus was saying these words to, and, and it's hard for us. And, you know, we remember that some of the people who were having the hardest time with these teachings are the the very religious, the people who knew the scriptures forward and backwards. And they just had such a hard time understanding what this very simple command. And so Jesus tells this parable about a, a good Samaritan. And at the end uh, of him telling this story, he asks the the teacher of the law, the expert in scripture. And he says, okay, so who was a neighbor to the man who uh, who fell to the robbers? And do you remember do you remember the answer that the teacher of the law gives? Yeah, uh, I think he says that the one who showed him mercy, uh, he couldn't even say the word Samaritan. Right. Like, it was like it was like the word Samaritan would have just been blasphemous to come from his lips. He just wouldn't even say it because those disgusting half breed don't worship right people. They they just disgust me so much I can't even say the words. Yet he knew that Jesus had him. And uh, and so again, Jesus continues to turn the world that they had created, the system that they had created um, of value, of, of life and who matters, and just shakes it up uh, every time. We still have orphans, widows, refugees, prisoners that were called to love, to serve, and, and to care for. Uh, and many people can see the need for that. But who are some of the people in our, our current context that might be considered the least of these? Who are the Samaritans in our time? I think some of that uh, is is pretty universal. There are certain types of people who we see as just less valuable based on their ability to contribute. And I don't just mean to society. I think I think we in the church can also view people this way. So, you know, the elderly and the very elderly, the the unborn, um, people of a particular race, people suffering from 
disabilities, whether it be physical or mental, uh, the terminally ill, uh, people who have uh, certain levels of education or don't have certain levels of education or do a certain kind of work or are unemployable or of a certain socioeconomic status. And then there's even, you know, we can even start to have our Samaritans <laughs> be formed in our own mind by by things like people of a different political leaning or religion or even petty things like how a person dresses or talks or their interests. And and of course, we we're really good at doing the the thing that the Pharisees were doing, which is to think we're just playing better than the sinners out there. Um, and and so we too do all kinds of things to rank our neighbor's value, and it's usually against our own. It either either makes us feel worse about ourselves or feel better about ourselves. And it's kind of like the movie The Terminator. You know, Arnold Schwarzenegger has this uh, like robot eye that he, he's half human, half robot. Have I made you watch the Terminator movies yet? Have I asked you to watch that with me? Yeah, no, I wish you wouldn't have asked me because the answer is no. And so now we're going to watch it. <laughs> uh, it's a good, it's a good movie. I won't make you watch this one. I make you watch plenty of my movies, but, uh, but just so you kind of understand, and, and there are other movies that do this. It's like when a robot sees somebody and they kind of do the, the point of view from the robot who's seeing like an infrared and he, focuses in on this one person and all their stats come up and like, you know, uh, their, you know, heart rate and their occupation and their name and like, you know, their tax bracket or all, all this information comes up. And we kind of view people in, in that kind of way. We like look at people and we size them up and we make snap judgments and, and place value on them based on those snap judgments on these worldly categories that we've created, uh, that the world creates and that we use. We, even in the church, we're just so used to doing it. And so what we want to do is train ourselves first and then our friends and as a pastor trainer congregation to see people not with the Terminator eye and not to see people the way that people look at each other according to the ways of the world, but to see them the way that Jesus sees people according to the kingdom of God and not rank them based on anything other than, you know, the only thing we have to boast in is is Christ who has come for sinners. And that takes a long time because it's it's very natural to see people according to the world's terms because that's where we spend, you know, that's the air we breathe. And, and it goes against our very nature to see people as Christ sees them. But the good news is that, you know, if you follow, you know, one of the lectionaries that's provided um, for our synod, you know, there's many, many opportunities to address these things, to talk about these things, to uh, reiterate these things, to repeat these things, and and create some really good discussions so that you can train yourself. and it, And it does take time, but it but it can be done. Well, I know you even a couple different times. I've heard some some form of this children's message that you do, even with our young kids, about um, you know com- comparing these different objects. And I think ultimately, um, the object that's the most valuable to you is our our son's watercolor picture. But you have the the kids, you know, rating, you know, how how they see these um, prizes, trophies. You can explain it better than than I can. But ultimately, it's teaching the kids to look at things the way that Jesus does and not place a value on them based on, you know, worldly standards. Right. Yeah. And that's, uh, and that's something that I, I don't think, I, I wish I could give credit to whoever I had heard that from first. Um, growing up in the church, you hear so many great messages. You just kind of, uh, you, you forget where some of them come from, but yeah, it's, 
it's a good reminder of we we create and live in a system of value in in one way when we're out in the world and another way when we're listening at the foot of Jesus and what we want to do is we want to make what we hear and what at the foot of Jesus be the thing that we carry out into the world and Jesus just does not see things the same way um, that we do and and we would benefit uh, from from trying to see with his eyes for sure so not just in in children's messages but you you do speak about some of these issues from the pulpit and that's not a question I have I've heard you do it is that something you do intentionally and I think I know the answer but I've never asked you before yeah um it's a good question I I do sometimes more than others you know sometimes you run into a text where it's just Jesus is doing the preaching and you're you're just saying what Jesus says and Jesus is giving a very pro-life message and and it's an opportunity to to proclaim what Jesus proclaims um, to your specific people and in your specific context. And what's interesting, or I guess what I should say is what preacher should strive to do is when you're when you're preaching the law, you want to be as specific as possible. You want to be specific with the gospel too, of course. But you want to be specific with with the law that you preach when you're preaching a, a text. And so one of the responsibilities as a pastor is to know your people. And so you're spending time with people and you're talking with people and you're getting to know your people. And that allows you to specifically speak the gospel to them. But it also allows you to be specific when you speak about loving the least of these. And you give the law some teeth um, by who you address. When Jesus is talking about the least of these, and you never want to make the law about the people out there. You know, you never want to say, and and the world, the, the uh, you know, the people these days and, and the world today and all that stuff. And you're pointing the law towards people who aren't sitting in your pews. You want to point the law, the law working as a mirror, not, not as a spotlight for other people, but as a mirror for us to look at ourselves. So if you talk to the people in your community, in your congregation long enough, you get a sense for what kind of people might be seen as is probably less valuable to them. And we all, we all have those people. Uh, the people who, if they walked into our church, you know, the, the classic like record would scratch and stop and everybody would turn around and, and kind of go, you know, well, what are they doing here? They, they don't belong here. And so when I preach the law, those are the people I want to talk about. Those people that would make us stop and gasp and say, well, wait, do we want those people here? And the answer is, well, Jesus wants those people here. And so we want to challenge our people specifically in our context and what's going through their thoughts and the kinds of things that they're talking about. The same way that Jesus confronts and challenges the religious people of his earthly ministry. And it's it's out of love. It's to help them grow. It's to help them understand what the kingdom of God is. And, uh, and that's your responsibility too. And of course, you offer the forgiveness that Jesus offers and you proclaim the gospel. But, you know, that's the really great thing. Um, these heart, hearts can be changed because that's what Jesus does through the word. And as far as, you know, preaching sermons on pro-life messaging, it, it, the reality is the more you proclaim Jesus and you just, you make it about Christ, the more you make it about Christ, the more you naturally teach your congregation to be pro-life. It, because that's who Jesus is. He he values all life, and he wants all of his sheep 
to be brought to him. And he longs to be with all of all those whom he might call his children and call his own and bring to him. And so, um, and so you, you proclaim Christ. You have Christ-focused messages. Then you will be preaching pro-life sermons. And, and that's a wonderful thing to do. Well, I have heard then a ton of pro-life sermons in my time from your, you know, pulpit and of course from uh, your dad's pulpit and and your brothers and many other faithful pastors. And, you know, as a mom, it's it's kind of hard at times to pay attention to the sermon, especially when I'm sitting by myself and I've got two little little people to wrangle. But it's definitely a, a prominent part of your preaching style and and, and it really blesses our congregation. I mean, I, I truly can can see it even in the year and a half that we've been here, the the difference that just talking about these issues in a very natural way, like you said, the lectionary just kind of provides that for you. Um, and the, the more often these things are brought to light, um, the more often our eyes are able to be open to see our neighbor and their needs. Obviously, some of these issues concerning the sanctity of life can wander into pretty controversial territory because these are things that people feel strongly about. How is it that you try to stay focused on God's word, on on the gospel, and not unintentionally veer into what you might consider to be a a political argument? Yeah, it can be tough because, you know, there are certain issues that you bring up and people are just, some people are just going to shut down because of the discourse that surrounds some of the issues that that we focus on when we talk about being pro-life. And so, you know, there's, there's always going to be some people who will um, be upset about certain sermons, about certain issues. And I've had some people who have uh, brought up concerns and, and, you know, you always want to be able to listen to them and listen to their concerns. And I think, I think that's part of what you need to be careful about is, uh, and something that I've, I've tried to train myself to do, is, you know, when you're speaking, particularly from from a pulpit, and, but this can be true to, in, in any conversation that you're having with anybody. So, so anybody could take this advice. When you're speaking about life issues, assume that there are people in the pews who disagree with you, or assume that there's a chance that the person you're talking to has a different viewpoint than you do. So, for example, there's there's probably a few people in your pews that do not see. Uh, the same, uh, the, see the unborn the same way as I do, uh, because a large portion of our country feels that way. And so when I remember, when I remember that, it keeps me from doing things like using, like catchphrases uh, that are used in in more political arguments about these things, or bumper sticker slogans to make your points. Um, you you want to walk through an issue um, more tactfully. Um, and, and when you assume that some of the people in your pew have, have dealt with this issue or have a different perspective of this issue that you're addressing, then you have to speak to them too. And that's not as easy to do. But when you do that, you choose your words more carefully. Um, you speak more compassionately. And, and it's just a different approach than the kind of tactics that, that are used um, in the political arena for these same issues. Because, you know, with this approach... We remember that the people who would disagree with us, they're sitting in our pews, so they're not our enemy. 
when we speak in political terms, it's easy to turn people with opposing, opposing viewpoints into the problem, right? They are the problem. They are the opposition. But that's not being pro-life, really. Um, if, you're, if you have a pro-life attitude, they are valuable too. And so they aren't the problem. The people who don't see things the same way you do, they're your mission. They're who you're trying to reach. And that's something that I think you and I learned very early on in seminary from the, the life team that we were part of, uh, particularly from Dr. Gibbs, who's a professor at, uh, professor at the seminary in St. Louis. It's very articulate about these things, talking about, you know, being, being pro-life is not about winning arguments. And it's not about, you know, saying gotcha. It's about, it's about winning people. It's about changing hearts. And, and that's what preaching is about, too. Um, you're, you're there to say some challenging things, but you're there to say challenging things in order that more might be one for the kingdom of God so that the Holy Spirit can work through the proclamation of the gospel. And, and by the law, people can come to repentance to receive the good news. And, and we can rejoice when, when we are able to, to start to see an impact through the preaching of the word and, and the giving of the sacraments. Um, I know that you know, you spent time uh, in St. Louis on a uh, mobile pregnancy unit where abortion-minded women would come to you in, in, your, in your mobile pregnancy center that you had where you're giving ultrasounds to women and counseling and things like that. And I remember you telling me, you know, to put a face on, on these women who are, who are dealing with these, these crisis pregnancies and how scared they were and how your heart would break for those women because the life issue in that particular situation changes from being just about an unborn child which we all know you know we all know that that unborn child is important and valuable but a, a real pro life view of that situation is also the women that you encountered that a lot of times didn't see their own lives as having value and that's why they didn't see the, the, the value that, that they were worthy of this gift that God was giving them, that the relationships that they continued to enter into um, that oftentimes were abusive um, and these terrible situations that they just did not even imagine a way that they could find a way out of because they didn't see their life as having value. And so, you know, if you want to come in heavy on the law with them, from a pulpit, you're, you're not valuing their life either. And so the pro-life issue is to see both of them as people who Jesus loves and Jesus longs for and people that we're, we're called to reach. And so the mission is to preach the love of Jesus and the value of all life in hopes that, that they can see uh, not just the value of the child, but the value that Jesus has for them too. And so when we address these controversial issues, we keep those things in mind. Sin and death are the enemy. And, and guess what? Jesus defeated sin and death. So that means we don't really have enemies that we have to fight. Now we have to resist temptation and, and sin is still something we wrestle with. But Jesus did defeat those. Other people are not our enemies. They're our neighbor. And that goes back to that question that Jesus wants us to continue to ask ourselves. Um, they're our neighbor. So what does that mean? Well, we're supposed to love them as Jesus has loved us. So far you've, you know, we've talked about, um, 
specifically, you know, your approach as pastor to these things, but now to expand it to like the whole of the congregation, can we kind of talk about some some real practical ways that you as a pastor, but then also lay people can work together to create a pro-life culture in a church? So real practical, what are some examples? Sure. Well, a church is really uh, a like snapshot picture of really the whole world. You've got these different different people that are all living in community and, and living together. They have to figure out a way to to, to you know make, make things work and get along and and love each other and, and serve the Lord as the body of Christ in in the particular place where they've been called and gathered. And so it sounds simple, but you know just like we're called to value all life in the world, you you value all the lives of the people of God in your church. You see the body of Christ as, as having value, no matter what part of the body they might be. And so, so what I mean by that is, you know, to put it in practical terms, you know, treat your elderly members as people who can serve the church. Think about how you treat your shut-ins and do they still feel like they're participating uh, as part of the body of Christ or are they just completely disconnected? from the rest of the congregation, you know, give them things to do. So, you know, for example, I, I tell shut-ins to, you know, you are an extension of our church. Pray for your roommate, talk to the staff, ask them what's going on in their lives, share the love of Jesus to them. Pray for me. I need your prayers. And that lifts me up knowing that I have you here with, with me and my name and your prayers to the Lord. Um, those are important things, and I need you to do that for me. Uh, that that is being uh, that is being pro life in a very easy, practical way. If you if you got somebody who's terminally ill, um, be intentional about treating them with dignity. Remind them that you know even in their illness, as long as they have life and breath, they are serving as a witness to others through their faithful endurance and and what an impact that makes on other people just as Christ made an impact through his endurance and faith through the challenges that he faced, and there were many. Remind them that they're ushering in the new creation, that they are ushering in God's kingdom. And so the days that they have left every single day matters. Um, Then, you know, that goes for the children in your church too. You know, how does your church treat your youth ministries? Are your youth ministries this kind of, uh, for lack of a better term, quarantined in this own little section where, you know, we just keep them busy with pizza and movies um, just to kind of keep them around, but like get them out of the way so they're not bothering all the adults. Or are you treating them like they're in the mission field, uh, like they're capable of serving the church and their communities? You know, the world is teaching our kids heavier and heavier stuff, and they're addressing these life issues. We should address them too and give them our answer to the questions that they're going to have in the real world. And so give them responsibilities, make them feel like an important part of the life of the church. Because in my experience, I feel that I've seen that kids want to serve. They want to make a difference. They want to know what they believe and they might surprise you. And, And so, you know, you take all these different people and this is just, you know, different ages. There's all sorts of other things you can do with people of different backgrounds and things like that. But do some intercongregational, uh, intergenerational uh, ministry, and you know, things like have your youth go visit the shut-ins um, and and help them see the value of each other. And and again, you're teaching, but you're also serving. So, you know, that's one really big thing that you can do that kind of is 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 a 
pretty wide range of things that are all kind of that one issue. Value the people in your church. Another thing that I think churches can do, congregations can do, is you know, we're talking about those people who might wander into our sanctuary or people we might invite in into our worship setting. And what you want to do is you want to also try to take down as many barriers as possible that would keep people from receiving the gifts that are given in the divine service. So, for example, you know, uh, think about what it would feel like to walk into your church for the first time. And would they feel valued? Would they feel welcomed? Who welcomes them? How are they welcomed? Do people sit with them? Are your bulletins easy enough for them to at least have some kind of idea of what's going on? Or, or were, would you have had to have been born in that church to have any idea what was about to happen next and how to follow along or how to understand what was taking place in, in the service? Um, so look at some of those things. Uh, do you have a nursery? Um, do you have, you know, train people in your congregation to, uh, to tactfully ask parents with their hands full with, with little toddlers or children. I know you'll like this. If, if they need help with squirmy kids, which, which I mean, for us, that's exactly what happened because <laughs> single moms come into our congregation and, uh, and you know, if they have to wrestle kids the whole time, they might not come back. And, and so, I mean, unfortunately, you know, you are kind of a single mom for an hour every Sunday while you're in the sanctuary. And we've had people who are, really kind and take one of the kids off your hands and they'll let them sit with them and and you uh you get to worship a little bit easier and a little bit better are are you are we willing to do that for for people who come into our church what is the reaction your church has to noisy kids that's a really big one um we had when we were at our first call in Sterling Illinois we had a family that was attending who had an autistic son and and so he would occasionally make make some noise and, and need to move around a little bit. And, uh, and what you don't want is the reaction of the people in your congregation to be giving glares and stares and complaining in the parking lot and, and you know, chattering after the service and, and people really thinking, and maybe not in these words, but, but essentially thinking, you know, I wish they weren't here because this is disruptive to me. And then you think, I mean, you think of Jesus when He's teaching and the little kids are running around and kids back then, they weren't supposed to be, you know, around. Nobody valued kids at all <laughs> the way that we do today. Um, and the disciples are telling the kids to get lost. And Jesus is like, let these kids come to me. Bring them to me. Uh, I love them. The kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And so, you know, let us never be among the disciples who are sending away any of God's precious children and instead see the noise and, and, and you know, the, the messiness of it all as a beautiful part of the tapestry of, of God's beautiful and wonderful people from all walks of life. And, and, uh, and that, then, then if we're starting to do that, we're starting to get it. And, and, you know, to our, uh, to the church's credit that we were serving, they, they did welcome that family and, and they showered that family with love and surrounded that family with yeah. love. And, and I believe they still too, do to, to this day. Yeah. So, so that makes a big impact too. Cause you know, that family might have wondered how they were going to be received and, and sure enough, they were, uh, with, with loving and open arms and, and the love of Jesus. Yeah. I think the example, especially of, of, of babies and helping the pew <laughs> really, 
of course resonates with me. And and I love you so much. You said one hour of being a single mom. It's really like you leave for church at at six and we get home at noon. So it's like it's probably <laughs> like six hours of me feeling like a single mom. And I'm not I'm not complaining, but wow, it gives me a lot of compassion mm-hmm. and kind of some a little bit at least of understanding of of. <laughs> of kind of the, the extra burden that, um, that single parents might have to, um, take on in order to haul their kids to church. And yeah, I guess just a, wow, a a shout out to not only this current congregation, but the one we were in, in previously, uh, truly just people who were just so loving and embracing of our, of our children from like infancy and, and, um, I, in both congregations, haven't just seen that be because I'm a pastor's wife, but I've seen them be that way towards children of, of other people as well. And, and yeah, not in a like judgmental, like, Ooh, you can't handle it. So I'm going to take them, but just in a, just in a very loving and compassionate and like actually enjoy being with our children. And that is a church that without even verbalizing it speaks volumes for valuing the lives of of children in their congregation and and that's just beautiful and has blessed m- me so much and has made me realize that's how I want to be when I'm you know have have an empty lap <laughs> someday <laughs> um I would like to be that that grandma who offers to to do that and also to teach my kids to be em- embracing of younger kids below them and to kind of bring them under their wing too. And yeah, as far as, as noisy kids, that's a, that's a, a great point too. I, I, you know, even as, as you were talking, I was thinking of the book we read to Judah, our son and Nora, our daughter, it's called Whisper, Whisper. Um, I think it's Whisper, Whisper, Learning About Church. It's by CPH. I don't know that our kids have learned to like whisper any better um, based on that book, but they have definitely learned to see the divine service as something that they can actively participate in because the book goes through, this is what we do during church and you are a part of it. And that's awesome. And so for a, a church, an actual congregation to recognize that and to live that out, just as that book is saying, um, and from beginning to end, I mean, that book contains you know images of little people and old people all around. And it's, it's just, it's really cool. It's a great, yeah. it's a great book. What a difference it makes for your kids to see walking into your sanctuary to be with, with, you know, your church family as time to be with family instead of, you know, feeling like it's some sort of punishment, like they're walking into, you know, detention and they have to be quiet mm-hmm. and they have to obey and they have to, you know, and, and we teach reverence to our kids certainly i mean that's what that book is for it's teaching mm-hmm. about the divine service so they can follow along but i mean the children in the congregation that we serve now they they act like siblings our children look up to to the people yeah. in our congregations as their aunts and uncles their honorary aunts and uncles and honorary grandmas and grandpas and the things like like being willing to step into the lives of of people and and be okay with a little bit of noise and a little bit of mess and 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 uh, and embrace that is uh, is how you turn a turn a congregation into a family and uh, and it's a beautiful thing we've been blessed by that for sure yeah another example just you know popping into mind is 
um, organizing meal trains as a as a congregation, and you can organize meal trains for pe- for families who have just um, added a new baby to their family, for uh, families who have hospitalizations, or for ter- terminally ill um, people within your congregation. Um, doing something like that <laughs> as a congregation says we see you. We see your suffering, and we want to help alleviate it in in some way. I mean, the, these are just real, real small, but really easy to implement. Yeah, yeah, you're like the meal meal train conductor. I should get you a conductor. <laughs> you are you are the queen of the meal train, and uh, and it was your idea to start that in our church, and so I want to give you credit for it because it does make such a big difference to. Um, to first of all, to to show love to people in that way, but to take that off of someone's hands who are dealing with some challenging times. So, uh, so yeah, that this is stuff that doesn't take a big budget. You can start laying the groundwork for yeah. for this stuff starting next Sunday. I mean, it's it's more of a a lot of the stuff that we're talking about is just an awareness of these things and and having conversations about these things on a regular basis and. And, and what's great is you can start to get more creative and you can do more intentional things that take some planning. You can have a Bible study where you talk about Jesus's teachings on these issues. Maybe you listen to this podcast series and you create some, generate some questions and generate some conversations based on, on the people that you talk to, or, you know, we've, we've, uh, in the congregation down the road where my brother serves, uh, you, they host a senior meal where you have a devotion. You talk to them about Jesus, and and man, they love senior meal over there. They love their senior <laughs> meal. I think I think they were all getting vaccinated so that they could come back to senior meal. I think that's what they all said. Um, <laughs> having a sanctity of life Sunday that's a big one, and that's one that that we've done. And that sounds like it might be a lot of work to create a special Sunday. It does not take a committee to put a sanctity of life Sunday together. It's it's a great way to speak about these issues and reveal as it was revealed to us the wider scope of issues that seeing every life as a gift from God actually covers. Um, you can also do things like partnering with food banks, pregnancy centers, all sorts of other ministries that may exist in your immediate community. We partnered with a employee of a local hospital who happened to be the neighbor of of my brother who worked at St. Bernard's around here uh, in Jonesboro. And she gives monthly newsletters about life issues, uh, various health issues, tips ranging from getting exams and screenings, checking blood pressure, healthy activities, things like that. And, uh, and, and all that stuff, you know, it makes a big difference to people. It's a holistic approach of caring for your caring for and loving your neighbor in body and in spirit and uh and these are these are great for your congregation to participate in and it's great for the people that you're serving so it's just a wonderful way to instill this pro-life culture uh within your congregation yeah and as as tiffany mentioned you know she was in our our very first episode, she talked about the sanctity of of life Sunday, and we had this conversation about how um, it's it is it's so great to have one Sunday of the year dedicated particularly to these. But what we're talking about is having this carry on through the entire church year, so that it's not so glaring when we get to Sanctity of Life Sunday and have, have never heard throughout the rest of the year our, our pastor talk about abortion or or suffering through a disease or or aging, dying. Yeah, that's, they're not like, hey, really... oh wait, we believe this. It's like, of course, right. we're yep. we're actually 
you know, this is what we believe and and we're going to take a special opportunity to highlight these things. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's, it's a continual thing. It's ongoing. And, uh, and there are a lot of, a lot of benefits within the congregation and, and in your community to create this kind of culture. Yeah. Well, so tell us about those, those benefits. I mean, some, some are real obvious, but what do you see as being the, the biggest benefit to both the, the congregation and to the local community of intentionally working to create this pro-life culture? Well, you've already mentioned some of the things that we've seen, and that is that the people that we, we serve um, have, have shown uh, their ability to take these teachings and to put them in action. And when they're put in action, it's a beautiful thing. And so, you know, it's, it's valuable in this. A lot of our congregations are, are filled with people who are a lot alike. And that's normal, really. Uh, I think that's in most cases, that's just the demographics of a congregation. The people will be fairly similar. They'll be from similar backgrounds. They'll, they'll be of a similar range of, of you know, uh, social uh, standing, class, you know, economics, all that stuff. And there's obviously some, some variations within there. But a lot of us can kind of like look a lot alike and live a lot alike and kind of have a similar walk of life and, and view of the world. And that's fine. That's normal. So you wonder sometimes, you know, are we going to be willing and able to welcome different kinds of people who aren't going to fit that mold? And, and are they going to feel welcomed here? Are they going to feel loved here? If a Samaritan walked in to our church, an outsider to our church, would we treat that as a threat like the Pharisees did? And and the and the good news is that if you if you have a a culture of valuing all life and seeing um, these people the way Christ sees them, you see the opposite. You see people valuing people the way Jesus does. And we're never perfect. Uh, we we are always learning to see life as a gift um, and being worthy of the love of Christ. But this is what grows the church. I mean, this is what this is. What does it? I mean, this is the gospel being proclaimed, and then we turn, and then we serve in the name of the gospel, and uh, and so this is just the reward is that you are carrying out the commission. Um, it, it is the the great tool that allows you to reach people so that they might be baptized and believe and and come into. Uh, and be grafted into the people of God and then become the body of Christ along with us. So, so that is the, the greatest reward is that you are, you are reaching people for, for the sake of Jesus Christ. And it's a, it's a, it's a thing to uh, rejoice every time you see it happen. And we have been blessed to see it happen in our, in our context. Yeah. Yeah. To wrap up, what do you think the the single most important thing a church could do to begin the work of creating a pro-life culture within their own congregation? Yeah, I think the the there there's a lot of things that churches can do. You know, we talked about you know watching how we speak about people. Um, the Eighth Commandment has a lot to say. Uh, um, about, you know, the way that we value life oftentimes starts with our words that we use for people. So to watch how we speak about others. I know um, 
your episode with Katie Sherman talked about the language that we use and the words that we use being important. Sometimes the words that we use for certain types of people uh, can be what allows us to devalue them. Um, but at the same time, the words, if they're if they're uh, well-chosen words for people can be what allow us to see the value in them and to see them as Jesus sees them. So, you know, watch, first first have, have as an individual church member to, to watch the words that you speak according to the Eighth Commandment, to try to, when you see yourself sizing people up with that Terminator eye, to, to try to stop doing that. You don't have to play the game anymore. That's the good news. When you're pro-life, you know, a lot of the world is still stuck in high school. People are thinking about who they should associate with, who's going to benefit them, who who's going to benefit their reputation, who can offer them something, um, who's cool, who's not cool, and who wants to sit at the cool kids' table. You don't have to play that game anymore. It simplifies everything. Who am I supposed to love? Who am I supposed to be with? Who am I supposed to serve? Everybody. Everybody. And so it just changes the way that you look at people completely. And if all of us individually are doing that, then it's going to create uh, a pro-life culture in our church uh, by the way that we're living our life outside of the church. But really, the, the number one thing that we can do is, and this is going to sound silly at first, but it's to come to worship. It's to receive word and sacrament. Because the divine service is really just the great equalizer. It is the all the things that we were talking about Jesus doing. It It is the exalting of the lowly and the hungry and the mourning. It is the humbling of the proud. When we come in and we confess our sins, we're looking around and we're saying, wait, we're all, we're all sinners. We're all confessing these sins. We, we all have fallen short uh, of, of what God has called us to be. We've all sinned in thought, word, and deed. We're all on the same page. We're all saying the same words. And, and then we hear the words of absolution that we are all forgiven in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're all given a clean state. We're all at the same point, which is redeemed. And there is no distinction between us anymore. And so we're just the redeemed children of God. We're just brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and then the word of God is read and the gospel is proclaimed and all those things that we talked about when we're preaching Christ and we're hearing the, the, the Bible and, and we're hearing the stories of scripture read. We get all of that. We hear those pro-life messages and the spirit works on us to see the others, uh, other people the way Christ sees us, encouraging us to, to love one another. And, and then you get to the prayers of the church, right? And, and you can as a pastor, you can have in the prayers of the church, have your congregation praying for all kinds of people, especially the widows and the orphans and your Samaritans and the sick and the struggling. And, and even the people we might perceive as our enemies, put them in the prayers of the church so we're praying for them. And, and then we come to the table and receive the body and blood of Christ for the forgiveness of sins. We're reminded that we are all part of the body of Christ by the shedding of Christ's blood. He has brought us to himself and then he gives us himself. And so you see that worship is really a picture of the way that Christ intends the church to be. It is a foretaste of the feast to come. It is a preview of the new creation. All people, you know, with with all things in common now because they have Christ and they're serving one another and they're serving God worshiping with all kinds of people from all different kinds of walks of life. And, and, you know, when we try to live outside that gathering and outside of the presence of Christ, it's easier to start to do the Pharisee thing again. And that, that was their problem. They weren't 
seeing the presence of Christ. They weren't coming to Christ. And so they couldn't see things the way that Christ wanted them to. But what worship does is it it de-aligns us from the world's way of seeing things. And it realigns us with Christ and the church and the people of God. And so really the best thing you can do is go to church, worship, worship, be with your people, worship with your brothers and sisters, be in fellowship with them, and come to get the gifts that Jesus wants to give you in his divine service. That's good. I'll I'll, I'll be at church on Sunday. <laughs> I'll try I'll try not to leave so early in the morning so you're in a single mom for quite as long. But uh <laughs> but yeah. Thanks so much uh, to my husband, Kirk Nugebauer. Thanks for joining me on this adventure and for joining us on this episode. Yeah. Thanks to my favorite podcast host. And uh, and thanks for all that you uh, are continuing to do through the gifts that God has given you. And uh, I can't wait to see uh, the convers- or hear the conversations that you have in the future. This is a really exciting, huge blessing. And uh, I think you're doing a pretty awesome job. Thank you. So speaking of, of, of conversations in the future, if you, our listeners have an idea of what you'd like to, um, hear talked about on our show, if you have ideas for topics, stories that you'd like to share, even questions, please email us at friendsforlife at lcms.org. That's friendsforlife at lcms.org. And Thank you also to you, our listeners, for tuning in, of course. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a five-star review and don't forget to click the subscribe button so you don't miss out on any upcoming episodes. Thanks for joining us. Friends for Life is a podcast that introduces listeners to life issues by introducing them to friends who stand for life.